Okay, so we'd like to start, I'd like to start by apologizing for the horrible audio quality on last week's podcast. So I am using a free open source program to do this, and I don't know how to use it very well. And I accidentally had it set to record from the computer and not the fancy microphones that we bought. Um, so lots of good information in last week's. It's actually kind of a bummer. It was really good. Dan and I were thinking we were done. It sounded awesome, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's why you couldn't really hear me because I was further away from your computer. Exactly. And I was just laying into Dan. I'm like, man, you got to speak up. He can't hear you. Look at the, you know, I'm showing him all this stuff as if I'm this expert. And then I realized today while I'm setting up, oh, it was going through my computer, not the microphones that we paid for. So um, last week's podcast still has good information. But if you listened for the first time last week and thought we were a couple of clowns who sounded super amateur, you're right. Um, but hopefully we're getting over that. Um, and it's a good week, too, because we have we have two deep dives we're going to do today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about tires, because that's the most common question we get, especially now as we're moving into Nike race season. Yeah, we've had lots of questions. So about many tires. questions about tires. Um, so I'm going to do just kind of tires 101, try to arm you with some good things to think about. And then uh, we also wanted to talk about zone two riding, um, which most of you should be at least somewhat familiar with it's something if you've been listening to Maybird stuff we we talk about it all the time or at least people should know I'm a big fan of it and we'll talk about why yeah we're gonna make t-shirts for Dan um but yeah so we're, we're gonna dive into that a little bit as well and then again um we receive a lot more questions than we used to Joe Draper 98 uh, at gmail uh, to send those or um my my phone number I'm, I'm finding it's 801-671-5412 just text me your questions and I think we have answered every question that's been asked. I think, I, I don't think there's anybody that I've, I've left out. So um, we received some today that we're not gonna have time to research and get into, but we will do those next week. And um, yeah, send them over. But anyway, tires in zone two. So, Joe, before you start boring us about tires, I had a question for you. Um, so, like, why is a road bike so much faster on the road than a mountain bike is? Well, it, it basically comes down to the tires, essentially. Like, the biggest. There's, there's a lot of things, right? Like, some road bikes don't have suspension, so they're a little lighter. You know, they're more aerodynamic. But, like, um, you will notice if you follow, like, Keegan Swenson, um, or, or a lot of pros will go and train on their mountain bike, but put uh, road tires on them. Um, there's a way you can do that. We're not going to go into that. But um, tires are the most important part of the bike that no one wants to talk about. Like absolutely, and like I, like with like luxury cars, one of the biggest difference between like the luxury version and a more stripped down version is the quality of the tires they put on the, the luxury car. And I, and I think with tires. The whole key is you've got to get the right tool for the job. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. And and like, and in the mountain bike world, like there is a gradient of nicer tires versus worse tires. But like, you know, even spending, you know, like like premium tires these days cost between eighty and a hundred dollars um, a piece. And and um, even if you spend eighty to a hundred dollars, you can get, you know, there's some brands that I don't like at all that I don't think last very long. There's some brands I like more. And then once you get into the brands there are different tread patterns that I think are more appropriate for riding type X versus Y versus Z, right? But we're um, mostly going to be talking about Maxis, right? Because yeah. That's kind of out of the gate, I'm sorry. And like, I know, I'm so sorry, Joe Cochran with, with Kenda Factory Racing, but like the majority, and actually, so I, I worked in the bike recent, industry until recently. Do you know, what, I don't know if I should share this, backcountry.com can sue me if they want. Do you know what percent of the mountain bike tires we sold were Maxis? Like 95. So it was, it was 93. Okay. was the number I heard at one point. So Continental's come out with some more tires in, in recent years and Specialized, we picked up Specialized, so that number went down. But like, And Joe Cochran and Bo have been using the Kenda tires and just love them. They're fine. And both yeah, of those great. guys, as you may or may not know, are... Much faster than us. Yeah, so... But but you should know that like, Maxxis owns mountain bike tires right now. Like their industry share, their, 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 um, their, 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 um, their share of the market's just huge. You know, the only brand that comes close is probably Specialized. Yeah, so basically... Whatever we recommend in Maxis, if some of these other brands has something similar, you might consider trying that as well. Yeah, and, and really quick, I should say that like I personally run Maxis tires. Um, I, I feel, and I would always tell my, my clients, that I felt that you got the best balance between 
um, you know, like grip and uh, durability, right? Because there's some brands like Schwabe Tires, I'd call it as a brand that like, they ride amazingly well. They're very, they use a very soft compound, all their compounds across the board. Basically the composition of, of different materials that they use result in a softer tire, which means that they bite a little better, um, but they wear down super fast, right? And I've ridden other other brands that last forever and they're super bomb proof, but they're using a, a harder compound. Um, and so on, on net, um, they don't grip as well, right? I've, I've ridden some brands that seem to puncture easier, like, you know, um, so I'm not going to dissuade you from buying any tire, but I think if you were going to, I think your, your default should be start with Maxxis. Yeah, it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I've never ridden a Maxxis tire that I hated, and I have ridden other brands' tires that so, I had big problems with. So assuming most of us listening to this podcast are cross-country racers, we want to go fast, what's your recommendation? Well, so on, on like a very broad level, um, you want a lower profile tire is, is the way we talk. Basically, we get, the treads don't stick out as much, right? The tire is closer to being smooth versus like, you know, if you watch like a downhill World Cup or look at motorcycles, like dirt bikes, they'll have, you know, like tires that like, they have like an inch of prominence off, off the main body of the tire, right? And that'll dig into the dirt better. You have more grip, but they're much, much, much slower. Um, and, and this is something that, and you can, you, you'll back me up on this. If your tires roll slow, you will feel it. That is probably, I could argue that is the biggest thing that will slow you down or speed you up as far as equipment goes. And the other thing too is everyone is so concerned about weight on their bike. The most important weight to be concerned about is rotating weight. And with rotating weight, the further out that weight is on the wheel, the more consequential it is. So if your hub's really heavy, but your rims are light, that's fine. But if your hub's light and your rims are heavy, that's really bad. And so the further out the weight is, the more consequential it is. And so that's that's another thing about a light, like a, a faster tire is there's n- not a whole lot of weight out there. Yeah, and this is something, it's interesting in the bike industry, you've seen in the past few years, um, the bike industry specs grippier, burlier tires on, on bikes than they used to. And it's and that's something that I, I I think you can you can argue for, but like with the discipline that we're involved in with cross country racing, that will slow you down significantly. Like and like basically what Dan was saying to reiterate, um, fifty extra grams of weight on your tires is going to be much more consequential than fifty extra grams of weight on your hub, and much 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 more consequential than fifty extra grams on your frame. And neither of us, I think, are smart enough to understand or explain gracefully why rotating weight is more significant than static weight. So or are you gonna actually, have a stab at it here? Well, Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. We're have physics with Dan. No, there's a really cool YouTube video that I should show people. Um, but basically, the, a physicist took two wheels. One had a heavy hub, light rim, and the other one had a light hub, heavy rim. They both, overall, the wheel setup weighed the same. And he wrapped a string around the hub, put a weight on the string, and then let them both go. And the, and, and let the, the weight basically fall to the ground as the wheel would spin. And the wheel with the light rim heavy hub reached the weight reached the ground like several times faster than the wheel that had the light hub heavy rim and it was just proving that 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 heavier outside rotating weight drastically slowed down accelerations yeah so it's like step it's like what we're trying to have you understand here is that um you can ride a really, really burly tire, and when you're descending a loose, rocky, gnarly trail or something, it's going to feel great. But in the Nike race, you are going to feel it. And and like tire weights between tires vary drastically. So like with Maxxis, you have, we're going to talk about like the Aspen is kind of their go-to cross-country tires these days, cross-country tire these days, and then like the Minion is their classic for 20 years. It's been their like you know hardcore, you know kind of enduro tire. Um, like the weight difference between those is huge and, and it gets bigger because you realize that it is the farthest, um, it's like the most disparate rolling weight that happens on your bike. So if any engineers are listening to this and would like to provide like a physics explanation for why that works, knock yourself out. Dan and I don't get it, but we know 
go with go with a light low profile tire for cross country racing is generally the rule you want to follow that said there are some really low profile really light tires that i've ridden before really soft tires that grip really nicely um I, i'd call out like i i i know that vittoria tires are different now but I rode a tire they had called the Mezcal a long time ago, and then I've ridden several Schwalbe's that were from the previous generation. Both these brands have kind of updated the lineup, and I kind of understood why they had a, a reputation for being a great race day tire. You hear people say that. That's a great race day tire. It feels great for an hour, right? But then, you know, as you go to train on it and do your, your long Saturday rides and the day-in, day-out Nike Maybird riding you guys are doing, um, you're going to find that, like, you know, this tire punctures faster. This tire treads fall off this tire because it's a softer compound. So you know on the flip side of you, know, you want to watch out for the weight you know but you also um in the rolling speed but you also don't want to go and and go with the lightest flimsiest tire you can find because that sucks especially where they're so expensive so so kind of the i mean i think for most people we all kind of know that the go-to cross-country racing tire is the aspen yes i've i'm a big fan it's all i ever use i say my skills are average and it's rarely not enough for me to hold. it's rarely inadequate it's there rarely are not a whole lot of so situations where I, you feel I like think you need a more a lot of a lot of kids and a lot of a lot of riders want a more aggressive tire but i think with the aspen i think there's very 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 almost no times that it's going to slow you down i think there might be an occasional time where the traction might feel inadequate um, really muddy or really sandy conditions. Yeah. If it's really loose, I think it might feel inadequate. But I would say like 99 or 95% of the time, it's going to be adequate. It's going to be fine. It's going to be faster. But I would say if, if bike handling isn't your forte or you're fairly new to the sport, um, you might opt for a more aggressive tire just for comfort. I know a lot of kids like the more aggressive tires. But in general it it won't speed you up no and, and like i said for, for that hypothetical rider who needs something just a little bit burlier than than the aspen maxis offers a tire that i've ridden and, and that i enjoyed called the recon um that is a little grippier than the aspen but it's only a little grippier and it's a lot slower like that's kind of the problem is there are tires that grip better than the aspen um, but they're almost universally, I would even say universally, they roll a lot slower and they're so a lot like heavier. So it's kind of like you have to decide between being faster for 95% of the race course and, you know, even though you're sacrificing your better traction for that, for those few seconds that's kind of loose or sandy, um, it's just kind of a judgment call you've got to make. Yeah, and, and so like, like the long and the short of it is if you're listening to this, you know, you probably want to run a Maxxis Aspen. I was I was going to go into like before the Aspen came out, Maxxis had several tires like they had the the Icon the and Ardent the races. Ardent and the Ardent Race. All of those tires I think have been made obsolete by the Aspen because none of like like the Icon was my go-to before. The the uh, the Aspen rolls faster and grips better I than think, the Icon. I think the Aspen grips better than the Icon. Yeah, the Aspen I th I think even and like Maxis has so that this tire I recommended the Recon a while ago. Maxis came out with with what they called the Recon Race, which was essentially like the Recon but with um, lower profile center knobs. So the knobs on the side were a little more aggressive than you get on the Aspen, but then the center knobs were about the same, right? I think for some reason, having ridden them back to back, the Aspen grips as well are better, right? So like, I can have a really in-depth conversation about tire tread to choose, but I'd say most of you should be running Aspens. And if you're like a, a parent listening to this and you don't race, um, try the Recon. There's a new tire coming out called the Forecaster that used to be Maxxis's rain tire that's becoming their down country tire. That's supposed to be really good. But as far as treads go, the long and the short of it is, is ride Aspens, you know? And like, if you see a kid in an Ica race with minions, He's going to have to be almost twice as fit as you to make that bike go as fast. Um, the only other thing I wanted to touch on really quick was tire width, which is, um, a, we could do a whole podcast on it, but, but essentially um, we've, we've realized in the past few years that going to a slightly wider tire and running it at slightly lower pressures can be advantageous because it'll buy a lot of grip and compliance on the trail without sacrificing almost any rolling speed. Um, Nino Schurter and a lot of other professionals have adopted the Maxxis Aspen in a 2.4 width as the go-to cross-country tire, which is something I will endorse, with the caveat that if you are riding a bike from before 2019, the stock rims that came with that bike, are, and, and maybe even a lot of bikes that have come after that, 
but the stock rims that came with your bike, there's a great chance that they're too narrow to run a wider tire successfully. And to give you an idea of the kind of range we're dealing with here, most of the cross country bikes out there in the past five to 10 years have come with like a 2.2 tire or a 2.25, um, 2.35, 2.4 or a little wider. It's a pretty small range we're playing around in, but the difference is huge. So if you're riding a pretty modern bike, if you happen to know the, the internal width of the rims, that's what you can go off of. Um, and I'd, I'd say like, um, uh, you know, I'd, like if you're running, gosh, I, w- I would say as a good rule of thumb, if you're anywhere over 23 millimeters internal width, you're probably good to run a 2.4 but a lot of bikes out there have like 20, 21 mil internal width rims. Like a lot of the old sparks and scalpels are gonna have a rim that's narrow enough that you'll, you'll get what we call the light bulb effect where the tire really bulges out on the side. And then when you go into a turn, basically the rim kind of folds into the tire. Um, none of you are going to have the opposite problem. None of you have rims that are too wide for a 2.4. There are theoretical problems that can pop up there. But the long and the short of it is most of you should be running Aspens. If you're on a newer bike with wider rims, I'd go with the 2.4. If not, I'd go with the 2.25. And if you're a parent, your needs are going to be different. It's going to depend. So just hit me up and I can give you a little consultation. But for most of you guys, go buy Aspens either in the 2.25 or the 2.4 and, and rock on is kind of my, my gist of the, the spiel there. Okay. So, um, we'll jump right into zone two. This is, you're, you're a fan of zone two, no? Uh, yeah, I think I like zone two. So really quick, very just ground level. When we say zone two, what do we mean as opposed to, is it so, zone one? Is there zone 15? Like, what are we talking about here? Okay. So there's, there's a lot of different zone models. Um, we usually use a six zone model and it's, it's like the King James version, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and zone two is almost comical in a way. I've gone on on rides where everyone's like, okay, it's going to be a zone two ride. I look down at my power meter and I'm doing like 500 watts during all the hard efforts and then zero during other efforts. And it's kind of all over the place, yet we're calling it a zone two ride. So I think as far as like high school and NICA rides are concerned, zone two really means whatever you want it to mean. It's kind of one of those words that people throw around a lot, but they don't really like know what it means, like socialism or something like that. People love to throw these words around like, oh, this is zone two, you got to ride zone two. But I don't know. That's like a common one. Have you been on Twitter ever, Dan? No, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like one of people abuse the, the, the phrase zone two badly. Like no one understands what it really means. And I think most Nike riders in particular don't understand because they're all a bunch of intensity freaks who want to sprint up everything, you know? Yeah. So really what zone two means, let's, and I think we could probably start off with, first of all, how do you figure out what your zone two is? I think a lot of people haven't actually ever really done that. Um, so first of all, you start with either there's there's a power based zone two and there's also a heart rate based zone two so and they're both actually useful and they're slightly different and interesting to compare to each other um but where, where most of us don't have power meters yet um let's start with how to figure out your heart rate zone two so first of all you need to know what your threshold heart rate is and your threshold is basically the point at which if you go over this point you're you're producing more lactate than you can clear and you really can't maintain that power for very long we say very long like roughly roughly you're what are we talking, talking like if you're below your threshold you can ride in theory up to about like from four hours to an hour if you're below your threshold once you get above your threshold you're talking a few minutes it, and is a, it is interesting. There's like a fall off, you know, where it's like 1%, 1%, 2% more, more intensity and all of a sudden your time falls off drastically, right? It falls right? off pretty drastically. Like at 98%, you could go three hours, but at 99%, you can only go 45 minutes kind of a thing. Those are, those are made up numbers, totally but made up numbers. totally made up. But the, the principle is, yeah, is, the principle yeah. is there's just kind of a point you cross where your work becomes very unsustainable. Um, and so to kind of figure out where that point is using your heart rate, um, you would ride as hard as you could after warming up and after getting your heart rate up a little bit, you would go for as hard as you could for about 20 minutes and notice the average of that, of your heart rate during that 20 minute time trial all out effort. That's a pretty good threshold heart rate. Yeah. Like, like 
technically it's not perfect, but operatively, that's great. Most you know, people... It's, it's not your maximum heart rate. It's, it's a functional 20-minute sustainable heart rate. And, you know, and these numbers don't have to really necessarily be perfect. Um, so, and... And that right there becomes kind of your threshold heart rate. If you did an all-out, like an all-out three-minute effort, your heart rate would be higher than that. If you did, you know, if you did like an easier effort, your heart rate would be lower than that. And so you find out what that threshold heart rate is. And about 75% of that is your zone two, give or take, you know. It's a range. It doesn't have to be an exact number. There's a range. But I just like to remember it around 75%. Okay, um, to figure out to figure out what it is in power, you would do there's there's different ways to do it. A lot of people would do an hour test, which is really difficult and stressful. Usually, I would do a 20 minute test, and 90 95% of your power you maintain over that 20 minutes is a pretty good estimation of your FTP which is your hour power your zone two is about 60 to 70 percent of your ftp so basically your zone zone two is a percentage of the power that you can maintain for an hour in theory okay. in theory and, and like i'd say adjust like if you're if you're getting a number that you're like oh my zone two heart rate is 115 beats per minute right or whatever it is and then you find that you can only sustain 115 beats per minute for 30 minutes that's probably not actually your zone two like like i would say this is something you'll kind of come to know with experience so if these numbers are giving or if these methods that we're giving you are producing or resulting in numbers that don't really translate into the real world use discretion yeah these methods get you close because usually the best way to tell if you're actually in a zone accurately is the amount of time you can maintain in that zone like like if you figure out your threshold heart rate is a hundred and 20 beats a minute but you can only ride at that for 10 minutes then you're it's not your zone two yeah, even if even if the method get, so i'm curious like well, how much how much time should you be able to ride in, in your zone two heart rate Ex yes in, so in zone in if you're at zone two heart rate you should be able to ride at that rate for between two to four hours it's longer than you think and that's not and that's like at, that's steady that's steady exactly that's not like oh climbing for two of those hours and descending for an hour like you should be able to yeah. get on a trainer and and sustain that effort for two to four hours so when you know when you're on the Nike ride and they're doing a zone two ride I always like to ask kids I'm like so do you think you could ride at this pace for three to four hours and they're like oh yeah I'm like no you can't no but, yeah no kids are stupid but it's okay so, you know no they're not a little. I was. I can say that I'm closer to being a kid than you. Barely, but I am closer. You know, I was, and after that, I was the biggest offender here. I, I loved saying I'd go out on a zone two ride and then go slightly easier than my normal, you know, crusher ride. Like, you know, this is something. And I shouldn't say kids are dumb as harsh, but like, this is something that takes time to learn how to do, and that people, the age of, of the athletes we're working with here, have a tendency to over intensify their riding. I, th I think it would be fair to say. So. So let's talk about, so we're, we're, we're talking about like what a zone two ride is. So we've already established it's about 75% of your threshold heart rate, about 60 to 70% of your, your, your power, your FTP power. Um, it's something you should be able to do for between two to four hours. Um, the thing is, is one, one thing too about a good a gold like a gold standard zone two ride I would say would be between two and four hours at a very steady pace and it would be consistent without starting and stopping but you really can't do that right like where where would you go where you could do that a gold standard K Kansas I don't know like nowhere in Utah man like I mean there's that's kind of the problem is especially on mountain bikes, you're going to be climbing for 20 or 30 minutes at most, probably more like five or 10 on the lower kind of stuff in the valley here. Like, you know, um, I guess like in the real world, let's say I'm going to go ride shoreline. I'm going to go ride the Bonneville shoreline trail, lots of up and down the longest climb dry Creek takes what, 10, 15 minutes, you know, what does a zone two ride look like in the real world? And, 
and it's not really possible. And that's why... It's like a unicorn. So I would say, you know, if you've got a road bike and a flat road, you can do it really easily on a road bike, but not... I mean, it's difficult around here to find a good road to do that. Um, on, on Zwift, I do them. Yeah. Um, on Zwift, you can do it really, really well. But I wouldn't really want... I wouldn't want you guys Zwifting right now when it's so beautiful outside. I mean, that's... No. Um, Staying on Zwift that long, too. You have to be psychotic to be able to do that. Like, yeah. that, that, that so drive me crazy. So just like, on our group rides, we really can't do perfect zone two rides. So what I've kind of amended it to is I really call them just sub-threshold rides. You know, some of your efforts are going to be zone two. Some of them are going to be sweet spot, which is which is a zone just below your threshold. But on, on most of the group rides, I think that you should just keep them sub-threshold. Because another thing is, too, is, you know, a, a gold standard zone two ride really needs to be longer. Because if you're only doing a lot of the benefits, and I'll, I'll talk about this more in a second, a lot of the, all the benefits from doing a zone two ride happen after about two hours of riding. And so if you're only giving yourself an hour and a half to ride, I'm not sure that a zone two ride is the best thing, you know? So basically like to get bang for your buck, you gotta be two hours plus for a zone two ride. Yeah. They need to be longer to really, to have the, the benefit that they're intended to have. And, and what is like the bang for the buck there? What, what's the bang we're chasing? Like why? Do, and I'm probably jumping ahead. I can oh. see you frantically scrolling through your notes here. Like what is so, the benefit of a zone two ride? Like why okay. should I, cause it sounds boring, you know? It doesn't okay, sound so as exciting as other rides. Let me, um, before I answer that question, let me just back up. And I've had this question asked to me like twice last week, um, and I hear it all the time. Um, you know, I hear I hear people say all the time, "Well, you know, these kids are only doing a sixty or ninety minute race. Why would they need to do a four hour ride?" And I mean, that's a good question. It's a fair question. It does seem counterintuitive. It, yeah, it really does. And, and that's because when, when you're doing zone two, you're, you're building your aerobic motor. And when you're doing a race, you're testing that motor out. But you can't, you don't have to test the motor out all the time to be able to build it. And so, so what happens um, when, when we're riding at zone two, we are purely aerobic and and one of the, so one, one of the big benefits is when we use our, when we're, when we're riding in zone two, we are completely using our, our type one slow twitch muscles. You'll have to explain that really quick because you've said that to me so many times and I forget what it means. I think okay. most people don't know that. So there's three types of muscles. You've got your type, your type one, which are slow twitch muscles that, that they actually will burn the mitochondria in those will use fat as fuel and it also use lactate as fuel. You've got your, your type 2A muscles, which are also, they also use oxygen and mitochondria to produce energy, but these types of muscles will use um, glucose and glycogen as fuel. And then you've got your type 2B, which operate completely anaerobically. Anaerobic, without air. Without oxygen. And, and they, you know, they're, they're using like completely sugar. Yeah. Those are your, those, those are the afterburners. Those are for the sprint at the end of the race. Yeah. I, and I would say the, you know, the, the type one muscle fibers are very efficient. They can go forever and ever and ever. They seldom sit fatigue. It takes a lot to fatigue them. Um, and the type two, a muscle fibers are kind of like, kind of like the turbo you know, they can, they can go for several minutes. They can get you up a, you know, a, a 10 minute climb or something. They're very, very, very important in the type of racing that we do. Um, and then the, the, the fast twitch are just for like dunking a basketball or like our 10 second sprint or, and the, and the, and the type, the type two muscle fibers, um, they'll produce lactate when they, when they kick in and this lactate, you know, it, 
during during normal levels of exercise our slow twitch muscles use the lactate as a fuel and it's actually a really really easily used form of fuel I mean even even better than glucose or glycogen um, and the more that we're able to use this <clears throat> the more we're able to use this this fuel the more efficient we become um, if you get to a point where your these these fast twitch muscles are you are producing more lactate than you can use that's really when you start to you know you start to shut off and, and your time becomes really really limited um, when you're at a true zone two you're you're easily using all the lactate that your body's producing and and so it's a really really efficient place to ride because you're using a lot of fat as fuel you're using a lot of lactate as fuel um, you're you're you know you're occasionally going to be switching in and out of the type of muscles you're using so you will be using some glucose and glycogen I, i'm curious like when you so i'm i'm watching a nike race right and i'm a soldier hollow we'll say most of the time am i watching kids who are riding in in using the the group one muscles you were talking about or in a cross-country race are you mostly using 2a i'd imagine 2b you have used to get over the little five second hump or whatever the sprint at the end but like when you're in a mountain a cross-country mountain bike race maybe even a cyclocross race you're even i'd imagine that you're still mostly using your kind of slow twitch group one muscles correct or is that wrong well you know a really really fit and efficient professional athlete could race at that level using mostly slow twitch type one muscles because they've done so much zone two training that these muscles get like, like a like a world tour pro can ride at 350 watts for hours and hours and hours using almost completely slow twitch fat burning lactate consuming muscles where's because, most pull, pull because some, they're, yeah because they're so well trained so then when it's time for this rider to go to go up a hill or up a climb they've got so much room to move because their base motor is so efficient whereas if you pull some random guy off the floor of a bike shop but you know like 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 your typical nike kid i mean they're just burning sugar the whole time yeah and you know they're 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 way more glycolytic than a more advanced rider and racer and so you know but the advanced rider and racer they're still going to use those things but they're just going to do it on a higher level they've got this bigger base motor beneath it so when it's when it's time to go really hard and fast they've got a whole lot more room to move so the essence of your thesis here is that the foundational physiological aspect of a successful cyclist or endurance athlete is their ability to thrive with these slow twitch muscles and that zone two riding is a really excellent way to develop those. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it makes it so you can, can use more lactate. You can, you can burn fat more efficiently. Um, it increases the amount of mitochondria you have in these muscle cells, which I mean, I could go off, off, on how awesome that is. I mean, basically cellularly, you can produce more energy. Um, it increases the amount of capillaries that are in those muscles, so you're delivering more oxygen to them. So you really get to a point where you can do a whole lot really, really efficiently. Because and, and efficiency is everything, right? That like like the ability of your body to operate efficiently is essentially what, what separates me from Nino Schurter or or Tadej Pogacar, right? Well, yeah, and it's something that you can develop too, because you're kind of born with a lot of your a lot of your VO2 max capabilities. Just are, they are where they are. There's no you can't really to, change to it. At some ton. point, you can still. I mean, a little bit. A lot of us still have room to improve them, but a lot of that's genetically kind of predetermined. But our efficiency is something that we can improve through training. I mean, there's people that have like enormous VO2 max potential that haven't done anything with it and they're completely inefficient they're just like that old car that i mean it can be fast but it's because it's sucking a whole bunch of fuel and polluting a whole bunch of you know blowing black smoke into the atmosphere what you know one of those old cars but um but you know through through training and through a lot of this aerobic training you know we can be that efficient engine that 
you know, that can go and go and go and have a lot of room to be fast on top. So, yeah. Um, another huge thing about a, a really solid base is, you know, because obviously in racing you are going to use your glycolytic system and even sometimes you're anaerobic. You're, you're going to be completely anaerobic occasionally. Mostly you're going to be glycolytic during your harder efforts. If you have a really, really good aerobic base, you recover much faster from those hard efforts so you can repeat them over and over and over again so your repeatability improves drastically and and in the real world that can either mean that like um you know you're racing somewhere that's really punchy has a lot of little like 10 second little humps you have to get over right that you're going to be able to get over those faster than the other guys or i think too an underrated ability is that you're recovering faster and you can actually be attacking in races i think a lot of a lot of youth riders just kind of end up doing races as like uh, a dirt time trial or something where there are other people in the course but you're really just going as fast as you can but if you watch professional racing it is more tactical and there is attacking happening I think because these people can recover from those really catastrophic efforts enough that they can be like making moves and getting around people and stuff so like this is this is the make or break of whether or not you're a good bike racer I think yeah and you know we, we talked too about like the people that ask you know like if you're only doing a 60 minute race why would you need to do a four hour ride um, I think an extreme example would be like um, like speed skaters or rowers. They'll do like four-minute races, but they do just as much base training as, as a cyclist will. So they're putting in like, they're doing like four-hour workouts for a four-minute race just because even still having a solid aerobic base just lifts you to a completely higher level. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and, like, yeah, you're not necessarily just trying to like, um, mimic your your goal, right? There are other things that you can do to yeah, build other, up. To otherwise, it. we just do practice races every day, yeah. and that wouldn't. And they have their place. They but, really do. But you said bang for your buck. Zone two is the golden zone, right? Like zone two is the Costco of of like bike efforts, right? It's where you get the most value for your money. You know, you're not gonna be able to get everything there, but that's well, you know. Well, and the thing is, is the the thing about like exceed because really uh, zone two, really how it's measured in a lab, is there's a certain point at which when you're when your type two two a muscles switch on there's a bump in in blood lactate that they can measure in a lab and if you go slightly above that point you get the same benefits as working slightly below but you just get a little more tired and there's not a huge benefit versus how versus the added fatigue and recovery that you'll need it's doing more damage for the same result for the same result yeah but those rides are so much fun. I love riding in that zone. That's the best. Yeah, and it, you know what? And it's not like there's some people that think it's bad to ride in that. It's not at all. It's it. You still get faster by riding. You, you know, you can still get faster by riding slightly above zone two. It's just you do have to realize you probably are going to get a little more fatigued and maybe need a little more recovery. Um, so we talked about, you know, kind of the gold standard zone two ride is essentially impossible to do around here unless you're doing it on Zwift, which I actually do during the winter. I can talk about that later. I've got a kind of cool workout that I do. But so practically speaking for like our, our group rides, um, and this is just my personal opinion, I like to keep group rides, most of them, I just call it below threshold. So you're going to have all different kinds of efforts you're going to have a lot of you're going to look back at it you're going to have some zone two and some sweet spot but i think as long as you generally try try to keep those efforts below below threshold it's not going to be perfect zone right zone two ride but it's still going to be mostly aerobic um it's going to be fun and it's going to make you faster one thing too about like i like to make the rides longer because what it actually kind of does is it forces you eventually to get into a zone two. Like when I when I start out some of these long rides with with some of these kids, at first they feel it's just like it's just so slow they're gonna fall over. But then by the end of the ride they're just kind of dying. But I'm like, oh no, we're going about the same. We're putting out about the same amount of power. Like your your pace didn't change at all. Like, like, like yesterday for me, we tried to do the first two thirds of point to point before we got rained out. And in Round Valley, which if you're not familiar, is like the very beginning, the first hour or so of point to point. I was so bored at the pace you were going. I was like, this sucks. I had, I had headphones in and I was listening to like 
a podcast and then an audiobook. I'm like, this is so boring. And then kind of moving to Deer Valley, and I was like, oh, I'm starting to work a little harder. By the time we were t- climbing Team Big Bear, we've been going for three, four hours or whatever, I was dying. And your pace and your power hadn't changed. You know, and that, that's kind of like the, the principle here is that like these rides are hard to do psychologically because you will almost always go out of the gates too hard. Is that is that fair? Oh, absolutely. That's like the yeah. stereotypical Nike kid thing to do, right? Yeah, you're, um, yeah, these, these, like a zone two ride, you, you know you're doing it right if it starts out feeling too easy, but by the time you're done with it, it it's feeling pretty hard. Um, one way... So one one way to know that you've done enough is at the like at the end of the ride you should feel like you've hit a little bit of a wall. You know, you should kind of feel a little bonky sort of. A little bonky at the end. That's that's when you know you've kind of found your limits a little bit and pushed them. And the thing about hitting that wall is the longer you can push out that wall the better. Like if you can push out that wall by um, by pacing properly or by good nutrition. Um, we say, is that like how long you can go after you've hit the wall or how you long you can go before, before you hit, hit the, the wall? wall. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, and, okay. You know, and as you train more and more, that wall's going to, you know, you might at first hit it after two hours and it might take like four or five to hit it. But yeah, pushing that wall out through training and nutrition really helps. So, um, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. I, I usually like to have numbered lists. And I didn't really have time to do it's that. A, we, we get lost. We, people figure out what number we're on anyway. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, but one question is, can you do too much zone two? Ooh, this is, this is, this is tricky. Cause my thought is as long as you're getting some amount of high intensity interval work in, probably not, but that would be my guess. What, what is the answer to that question? I actually don't know. So the answer is, yeah, you can get too much of anything. Um, I, I kind of jokingly say you can't get too much zone two, but you can. I mean, I, I think that like for most kids, going over four hours isn't super beneficial. I mean, maybe for between four and five is like the max. There's kind of decreasing benefits after that. Yeah, it's kind of like once you hit the wall, if you keep pushing after that, you're just making yourself more tired. Just, without. Yeah. You just need more recovery without really getting huge benefits. Um, and yeah, so, so, you know, you, you can get too much. You need to use, use common sense. And also right now, I mean, the, the whole zone two topic is so important. I, I really wish I could have waited until the beginning of next season, and we'll probably do another one. We'll reiterate this yeah. several times, don't worry. Because right now, um, right now, the focus of our training, where we're kind of in a build period for Nika, really the focus is race intensity and recovery. So it's funny we waited to talk about this until it wasn't the time to do it anymore. Basically, right? Like we've, kind of, we've yeah. kind of done of all of the times of year we could be talking about zone two. This is kind of the worst, but you know, know Dan couldn't wait. He was so excited. It was adorable. Was like, so excited to talk about zone two. So, so really right now our focus is race intensity and recovery, but zone two absolutely has to be man or maintained during the race period, because I guarantee you by the time you get to your last race, if you don't maintain that aerobic engine, it's going to shut down and you, things won't go well if it does. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> it's a quote from South Park, Dan, come on. Hopefully people don't know what that is then. Anyway, no, but like really like you and I, I felt this like in, in Nika, I had, um, I think I, I lacked in, in the zone two department and I could, I could tell, you know, and even if, if you have, if you have a really strong one or two minute effort or 30 second effort, you have to remember that like the bulk of a cross country race is still just kind of intense, right? You know, and that, that's sort of, we have talked about before you have to be able to build the base to use in the race. Even if you feel like zone two is slower than you'd ever go in a race, there's still a good reason to do it. You know, like if you have any hesitation about doing zone two, trust me, you're wrong. Like this is, but the problem, I think the biggest problem with zone two is just, it takes a lot of time. I think a lot of us just have, if you have a work and a family and stuff or school or whatever, like there are some time constraints that make it difficult to fit in a lot of these. I think that's the biggest barrier for most people to do these, right? For sure. And that's why, that's why I say, you know, if you only have an hour, an hour and a half to ride, I don't think a zone two ride is really going to help you. Um, I think that's when you start looking at like 
like sweet spot or sub-threshold or even recovery. You know, sometimes if you don't have that much time, you, like a lot of times people think of zone two rides as recovery rides. They're not. You're, you're still doing work. Zone two and recovery are not synonymous is what no, you're saying, they're, right? Yeah. They're different things. You know, so if you only have an hour, an hour and a half, um, that's where I think sub-threshold rides are beneficial, where you're going to do some zone two, some sweet spot efforts. They're still going to make you faster. Um, but do, if you can, do try to plan some rides that are over two hours because it automatically kind of pushes you into zone two. You know, one one thing I think I, I forgot to mention, um, one of the the big benefits of doing a zone two ride as opposed to like a, a tempo or a sweet spot type ride is what happens when you're when you're riding at zone two, you can ride at that that zone so long that eventually your slow twitch muscles start to fatigue. When your slow twitch muscles fatigue, your type two A muscles begin are, are recruited essentially are right? recruited and they start to act like your slow twitch muscles which makes them act that they'll get more capillaries and they'll get they'll improve in their mitochondria density and they'll um so yeah, you told me once that's where the magic happens is when those zone or those those group two muscles start acting like your really slow twitch group one muscles right like mm -hmm. that's that's the golden zone right there yeah and that's really what you're trying to accomplish with with these and that's why if you always shortcut your training you kind of just do sweet spot instead sweet spot and tempo instead of like the lower zone training you shorten your workouts you'll still get faster but you don't get that awesome benefit of the muscle fiber distribution changing you're kind of missing out on the golden zone there a little bit huh? like there's and, and again like it's hard i can tell you somebody who like was working and doing school and everything like you are not going to be able to do a four-hour ride on a whim so plan them on the weekends you know like plan these into your training like you don't have to to be good um but you have to to be really good i think i don't think there are a whole lot of professional riders who do like no zone two work you know i doubt yeah. there are any and if you are a time crunched rider and i know if you're not right now you will be at some point i think doing you know some tempo sweet spot even interval work during the week is fine but you really need to plan on and prioritize that long ride on the weekends. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, like that, that's been, and, and I can tell in seasons where I've done fewer of those, I'm worse. And when I do more of them, I'm better. You know, it's and, just that simple. And anecdotally, the kids that do these long epicish rides with me, I mean, they, they get fast. You know, the kids that do these long rides get faster. Yeah, no, the results are there. Like, like I said, like when I do these, I can tell. And when I don't do these, I can tell. You know, so um, prioritize that, you know, and I will say if you're in high school, enjoy it while it lasts, man, because life goes downhill from here. You know, like enjoy having all the time and enjoy being able to work up, like wake up at 11 and go ride your bike for five hours. That's cool. You know, and another thing to point out, too, is this type of work you need to be patient with because you're not going to see a difference overnight with this, with like high intensity interval stuff you can see a, a difference pretty quickly and that's because that's like those are like chemical and blood volume changes these you're actually changing you you are literally you're transforming changing, your body yeah you're transforming not just the chemicals going on inside of it and so it takes like several months years seasons so just be patient with it and keep building on it and maintain it and and yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a great investment. How about that? You know, and the other thing too is this is the type of riding that's the most fun. It's pleasant. Like a zone two ride, I love them because they feel pleasant. They don't feel overly painful. I think sometimes we think that unless it's painful, we're not benefiting. But really, it's the time that you spend that makes the adaptation, not the pain that you experience. Oh yeah. And I think, I think so many of these young athletes are so willing to hurt so hard for a minute, but just don't have the patience to hurt a tiny, a little bit for like four hours. And that's me. Like I would so much rather just have some catastrophically difficult effort for two or three minutes than to go and like just sit on a road bike for four hours or, or do like that really slow mountain bike ride where you feel like you want to be going faster the whole time. Like I think it takes some patience and maturity as an athlete to be able to really nail your time in zone two. It does, and I struggle doing the long rides by myself. I really have to be with a group or some friends, You'd be talking, laughing. And it, is, it just makes it so much more manageable. And, and it's 
it's my favorite thing about cycling. I mean, the adventures that you can go on, the places you can see, the the routes you can plan. It's what brings me the most happiness on my bike are these longer rides. Yeah, like and like I said, like oh, I couldn't sit there and rub it for hours. Like I don't think you should make your zone two rides those. I think make your zone two rides like take advantage, like you said. You know, go and as long, as long as it's not ridiculously steep, you know, make sure it's a course where you can actually maintain zone two. But like go ride somewhere you haven't ridden before and uh, do it with friends and stuff. And and again, it should be a pace where you can talk, right? You know, that's another maybe good benchmark for people. Like if you and your buddies are riding on a on a quote unquote zone two ride and everybody's working too hard to talk, it's not a zone two ride. You know, probably back it off a little bit, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And especially during the Nike season where the race season, I think before your race season, if you go a little harder on your zone two rides and you probably should, that's not the end of the world. In fact, sometimes I think it's awesome to have a hard group ride. Not every time, but, um, but you know, earlier in the season, I think that's okay. If you occasionally do a little more, get a little carried away, that's probably fine. During the race season, you know, you're really just maintaining your aerobic fitness and your focus really should be top quality race intensity work and recovery and your zone two work should be just maintenance. So like I said last podcast, you know, during this time of the season, I'd stick it more in the middle of zone two rather than kind of pushing the edges. Um, Right now, probably not the time to do five and six hour zone two rides, but two to four is fine. I think you can recover from if as long as you stay in an adequate zone, you should recover from those in enough time. I mean, if, if it's taking you more than a day to recover from a workout, I think that was probably too much. And so, and, and I guess just really quick to like, like reiterate on that, like if it's taking you three days to recover from your quote unquote zone two, right? You did on Saturday, reevaluate. That's probably, probably a little bit. much. Okay. That's fair. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, I could go on and on forever and I, I, I want to do, we'll do, we'll talk about this at the beginning of next season, but, um, I, I think that having a strong, solid aerobic base makes you a more durable athlete. It really is going to separate you from the kids that are just doing this occasionally. And, and it really puts you just on more of an elite type level. It'll put you on a track to be the ne- to, like you said to get on to that next level. Like if you feel like right now you're your pack filler in in JV or sophomore or whatever they call it now, like this is this is where you get those top ten varsity kids. They are putting in longer hours on like they're I mean candidly they're putting in more hours more on the hours. bike. They're more consistent at this intelligent, you know, you know, five days five days a week, and then they're spending more time. So. Yeah, it's not a, they're not there by accident. No. You know so. Um, yeah, like uh, if you have any particular questions about anything we dove into and you would like clarification, we this is an incredibly cursory overview of zone two. Like if you're curious to know more about like the chemical and physiological processes that are making that make this all true, we can dive into that. If you want just more like practical advice on how to fit this into the, you know, into the schedule, let us know. Um, but yeah, like this is this sounds clickbaity, but like this is maybe like the secret sauce to make you a, a, a better writer, right? And it's a lot of fun, too. It's a lot of fun. I love these types of rides. Lots and lots of fun. But yeah, uh, as always, JoeDraper98 at Gmail. Uh, Shoot me a text, 801-671-5412. Whatever you guys want to talk about, we will discuss. And, uh, you know, go do some uh, Zone 2 riding, guys.